You're listening to the Old Guys Talk Metal and Sometimes Punk Podcast. 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 All right, listen to Old Guys Talk Metal and Sometimes Punk Podcast. John Wiederhorn is here this afternoon. Thank you, <laughs> Exactly. Hey, John, thank you for being on the show, man. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. So for the people that know, know who John is, shame on you. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah. 30 years as a music journalist covering the rock and metal scene. If I'm incorrect anything, feel free to lash out at me, John. <laughs> it's all in the press release, right? <laughs> yeah, and all and an author of five books, right? Five books? So far, yeah. You can buy at Amazon, everybody, good, great books or so. Not good books, but great books. Like Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Heavy Metal, right? Nice. Raising Hell, Backstage Tales from the Lives of Metal Legends. That's Need pretty, that one. That's really cool. Ministry, our friend from Chicago, Mr. L. Jorgensen, right? The Lost Gospels, according to L. Jorgensen. That's pretty neat. Cool. And then My Riot, Agnostic Front, Grit, Guts, and Glory. Agnostic the, Front. Yeah, we love Agnostic Front. We love him on the show. And I'm the Man, of course. The story of that guy from Anthrax, about Scott Ian. Yeah. To me, Anthrax is Scott Ian. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right. I always <laughs> I think of it that way. So, what, so tell us a little bit about, you know, you've been like, doing it for 30 years. John, right? Mm-hmm. So you probably got a million stories yeah. and a million things to share with us today. But tell us what's really sparked your interest in heavy metal, probably as a younger person, I'm assuming, and how you got started yeah. in the business. Well, as, as far as metal went, you know, I started listening to uh, radio rock like most people, and uh, occasionally you'd hear something that was louder than uh, everything else, like a Black Sabbath song or, you know, even... God, like a, you'd hear a, the loud parts in a, in a Journey song, or, or the, you know Neil Sean's guitar parts, or, or Brian May from Queen. Sure. And I always liked that that kind of metallic edge on a guitar without really knowing what it was. So I had some friends who kind of schooled me along the way and introduced me to uh, everything from British hard rock bands from British Invasion to stuff like uh, ACDC. And uh, when I heard ACDC, I was like, wait a minute, that guitar tone that's like different than you know, what, what Led Zeppelin sounds like, what's, what's different about that? How do they do that? And I was told about guitar pedals and, you know, it was a real kind of one-on-one, uh, lesson from, uh, from a friend in sixth grade. Um, and then, so I, I really just gravitated up the, uh, up the totem pole until, uh, a cousin of mine, a first cousin I was visiting, um, introduced me to, uh, both Rush and Judas Priest. Nice. And when he played me, uh, Hellbent for Leather uh, on a cassette tape on a boombox in front of a pool, I just lost my mind. I was like, oh my God, this is, you got that motorcycle sound and this guitar that sounds like a motorcycle. And then this guy's screaming, but he's also, you know, singing. And this is, this is unreal. And then it just became a quest of what, what else can I find that's this cool or this heavy? Or And then as you go along, you know, like most punk or metal people, you try to find something that's faster or something that's more lyrically graphic or something that's uh, more intense or, or sl- you know, slower and doomier and all about kind of this emotional expression and this energy. So, um, yeah, I was, I was pretty hooked. Um, so I always thought it would be a, a great thing to work with in, in some, some way. Um, you know, I did uh, some writing for the school newspaper um, and I played guitar, but I wasn't good enough. I didn't have the, <laughs> I didn't have the, uh, patience to really learn how to, how to play, uh, a lead guitar. 
And I played an okay rhythm and, and wrote some songs, but it kind of became clear that that wasn't my path to, uh, to the rock and roll world. Um, but I always loved writing. And, uh, you know, I did some writing in, in the high school, uh, in high school with the, the paper, reviewing some albums. And I interviewed Steve Morse of all people. Uh, from the Dixie Dregs, and yeah. he later went on to play with the Kansas, and I think it's in Deep Purple now, right? Deep Purple, yes. Uh, unless someone else has replaced him. Um, yeah, right. So um, <laughs> then in college, I went to, to school in Boston, and uh, it was right in, in the late 80s, uh, um, and the music scene was just, you know, blossoming. It was incredible. Um, I got to see uh, Megadeth at a small club. I saw uh, Faith No More and Soundgarden opening for Voivod at a club, which was a trip. Um, and uh, it, it really gave me an opportunity to be exposed to this great music scene, which, which Boston has always had. And we've had, had, had a good metal scene. Uh, and I, you know, through, through the uh, university paper, I, I got more access to artists and bands. And then I did an internship in England um, and I worked for Melody Maker, which was a, at the time a, a weekly music newspaper that was pretty well well uh, respected sure um and i i got in as deep as i could with them let me review some shows and no one there really loved metal you know it was all about alternative rock and indie rock so if i said oh my god there's this there's this faith no more show they're like faith no what uh okay you can cover it sure (laughs) (laughs) um i got i I got into the iron maiden parties in, in london and and uh got to interview Faith No More and, and uh, review their shows. And then uh, when I came back to the States, they let me uh, stay on with them as a stringer. So I did lots of freelancing, which was, uh, which was a great experience and opened up a bunch of doors. And then, you know, if, if, it's, if you're working in a field that you really love and uh, you find some success at it, you know, you just kind of keep pounding the doors long enough. And, and eventually when you make the contacts and, and, uh, work the scene, um, opportunities arise. So yeah, 30 years. So did you get to, did, did you get to tell Rob Halford about hell, your hell bent for leather awakening? I mean, that's great. <laughs> you know what? I'm not sure I've told Rob that. Oh my God. I'm not sure he'd be interested, but he might. He we might can, we, we can walk over to his house for you. Guy. I'd probably be the first thing I'd say to him if I met him was hell bent for leather. That's right. He's right. He's right nearby you. Right? Yeah. He's <laughs> right down the street from us actually. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I, man, I wanted to write his, his, uh, his book so badly. And I know I was in the running amongst, you know, a, a few people, but he, he ended up going, going with a British writer, Ian Giddings, and, and he did a great job with it. Rob's book is incredible. And it's funny, uh, we mentioned my podcast. Uh, I did a two part uh, uh, interview with Rob that's going to be, um, in the, uh, in the series. Uh, and he just completely opened up about, uh, all of his experiences from childhood and how he discovered metal and when he, when he learned he was gay and how that both influenced what he did with Judas Priest and how it affected him as a member of Judas Priest in this scene when it was really, you know, metal was pretty homophobic in the 80s, so sure. everyone tried to yeah. keep him in the closet, including himself. And, it, you know, it, it, uh, psychologically it tore him apart. And he's very candid about it in this book, and uh, when I interviewed him about it, he was, he'd been, he was very revealing. And, uh, and we put together a great, uh, episode in tribute. It's actually a, a double episode, which is going to 
be near the end of the uh, the twelve twelve episode run. Well, you'd think the assless but, chaps uh, the assless chaps would have given it away, but I don't, you know. I don't know the leather. I don't know, but I mean, people were <laughs> were really they were really taken aback when they found out Rob was gay. How could they not know? And when he came out in Arizona, he did the gay pride parade. He was like the grandmaster of it. Right. The, the year I think the year he right. came out, I think he did. You know, well, it's amazing. You know, because yeah, in the eighties, he was riding a motorcycle and wearing leather-studded outfits, and he was brandishing a whip, and he brought that look to metal. Totally. Really, that became, absolutely did. You know, like the yeah, and it came from the whole S and M culture. Yep. You yeah. know, and and he he said he was never really into S and M culture, but he liked the look of it, and he's a very uh, fashion conscious and uh, certainly image wary kind of guy and I always felt the priest had to have a, a fantastic image and uh, uh, that that look was just great for the music at the time you know when he brought the uh, the, the motorcycle on stage yeah, it comes out in a Harley yeah 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 it really unified their, their, their look yeah, that was really feel. the look of metal to me you know, that leather and studs people and people are wearing that and it took it really took off among the metal community right yeah Totally. That's yeah. what it was. Something Something like leather and denim. Yeah, le- yeah. Le- yeah, denim and leather brought us all together. <laughs> That's right. And still, when you look at new bands, Mighty like uh, there's all kinds of things like that with like with Ghost and Bohemoth, and they play the part. You know what I mean? They they wear these Viking well, leathers, and you know what I'm saying. Sometimes they do. Yeah, man. like Man of War did. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But it's part of it. Yeah, and the corpse paint and so, all that. Speaking of podcasts. John's got a great new podcast. Listen today, the Tonyomi episode of about nice. Black Sabbath. Fantastic! I, I really dig it, man. <laughs> I was oh, really thanks. I learned a lot of things from this podcast, which is called Backstage: The Devil and Metal. I thought you knew everything about. Brought Tony to you Yomi. by Diversion <laughs> Podcast and iHeartRadio. He's in cool. three three episodes in, and I didn't know Sammy yeah. Davis Jr. Yeah. was a member of the Church of Satan. What? <laughs> yes, yeah, she was, and and I believe Jane Mansfield, and yeah, there was, there was such a cult of personality that built up around that, uh, especially when Anton Lavey appeared in Rosemary's Baby. Uh, yeah, sure. I just remember that was, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this interest in the occult, and it was uh, everyone would go to these, these you know cocktail parties and do lines of blow and take out their Ouija boards and and uh, you know it was really a fascination at the at the time uh, i guess just the curiosity i don't know if all these people were real hardcore satanists i mean no one in sabbath certainly was although they dabbled uh same with uh, well richie blackmore maybe was a little bit more into the the uh, dark arts as i guess harry potter said for <laughs> yeah. for a while um and i don't i really don't know what richie's religious beliefs are today but um renaissance festivals. for a while yeah yeah that, that's right <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, don't, for, um, don't forget uh, jack parsons was... yeah yep <laughs> jack parsons and the jpl labs and that uh, whole thing with uh was the guy that did the scientology thing herbert whatever his name was the scientologist guy l ron hubbard l ron um, hubbard well l ron hubbard right right yeah they were yeah. All involved yeah, in that. scientology is Kind of satanic enough, isn't it? I think yeah. it, I think <laughs> it is backwards. too. I think hit the nail on the head with that. We'll, 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 we'll never know, I guess. Yeah, but that was <laughs> interesting that Sammy Davis is a part of it, man. Sammy just got caught up in it, I guess, man. And let me tell people, dabbling in the occult isn't a good idea. <laughs> just not. It's not a good idea. No, you got to go headlong. Into I've it. done my dabble. share of that, and I learned my <laughs> lesson. I'll tell you that with Ouija boards and everything else. So yeah, well, it's funny because if you if you listen to the episode, uh, there's all these people who started out thinking, oh, wow, you know, cool, the occult, let's, let's try, you know, let's mess around with this stuff. And uh, you had 
Bobby Liebling, you know, from the band Pentagram, yep. which came around shortly after Sabbath, one of the first real metal bands from from the East Coast in uh, in the in the U.S. He was a, a DC uh, based based dude, yep. and he named the band Pentagram after you know the the uh, upside down uh, star in in the circle, and he was in a coven, and he did got lots of rituals, and then uh, as he describes in in the episode, yes, he was scared. You know, I don't know if I can use bad words here. But you can, uh, sure, absolutely. Okay, he was, he was okay. fucking he was scared. scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's doing this this uh, ritual yeah. on a brutally hot day, and all of a sudden the windows frost over, and like smoke is coming out. You know, uh, steam's coming out of his mouth. Yeah, uh, and he said like the, the like, pipes start dripping and then turn into icicles, kind of weird, like in his basement. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah, really creepy shit. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and the people. And, um, but there's there's a lot of lot of people who kind of have that experience, and you know. Uh, but the one with the from... w- the one with the cat was something else. The... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's a trip. It's a, it's this woman uh, Jinx. Uh, co- uh, what the hell? Well, I'm blanking on her last name. From Coven, uh, right? Oh, right, Jinx from Coven. Um, D- uh, Dawson, Lawson, I'm. I, Feel badly that I didn't get her last name right, <laughs> um, but anyway, she's an amazing woman, really interesting, and she was very seriously into the, you know, into the occult, and formed this band with some other dudes who were, were also into Satanism, um, called the group Coven. She had been in a coven already from from her, her childhood. She had a background in witchcraft, and uh, delved into this stuff hardcore. And then, you know, she said usually they treated everything with respect and anything that they summoned would be uh, um, dealt with uh, in, a, in a professional manner. But one day these guys in her band were drawing this freaky um, occult-like snake and didn't clear the room uh, with, I guess, whatever incantations they're supposed to use yep. before the, uh, you know, before they summoned whatever they summoned. And this thing came up, and and she's like, "Oh my god!" Like with this, so immediately she uh, uh, did some sort of other magical ritual and banished this this demon into her cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the cat subsequently jumped into a wall and smashed itself against the wall, and whatever entity she had put inside the cat, uh, she says, came out of the cat and ran away or flew away on the other side of the wall, and the poor cat got kind of crushed. Um, so it's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Um, it you know, when you hear is. the stories and I mean, it's all about geezer Butler, right? Geezer, he was a dabbler, right? He dabbled in the occult. Yeah. And this yeah, is where the song Sabbath, curiosity. yeah, more curiosity. A lot of people did back then, right? This is where the song Black Sabbath yeah. came from when he had a pretty frightening, uh, encounter in the middle of the night when he was in bed, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's where the lyrics, what is this that stands before me, a figure in black that points at me. Uh, in the middle of the night, he saw this uh, this figure looming over him in black, pointing, and uh, he he suddenly got the feeling, oh my God, this is, this is a sign, this is a vision from, you know, below saying that uh, we recognize what you're doing, and, you know, if you're serious about it, then that's fine, but... Uh, this isn't something to trifle with or, or mess with lightly. Don't take it lightly. It's, uh, it's you know, going to bite you in the ass if you are willing to let it. And he, when when he uh, uh, came to the next day, he was like, oh, my God. And he told Ozzy what had happened. 
and freaked Ozzy out. And, and uh, Ozzy then wrote the lyrics for uh, for the song N.I.B., which was on the, the first album. Mm-hmm. And Ozzy yeah. didn't write many of the lyrics, but on the first album, he, uh, he, he did uh, write that song. And, and um, a great, great metal song. I mean, that al- that whole album just screams evil. It's just so, so amazing. Yeah, just the cover alone is enough to freak you out. Right? It is. Yeah. When people first did a cover, they get flipped out. Yep. Go ahead. And the in the uh, in the Sabbath uh, episode, um, Scott Ian talks about the first time he was exposed to the band, and uh, he was a little kid. He was you know younger than ten, and um, I believe it was his cousin uh, had a copy of of Black Sabbath, and Scott's filtering through his record collection. He's like, "What's this?" And he goes, oh, that's Acid Rock. It's like, oh, Acid Rock. Well, put it on. Let me hear it. And he hears the uh, ringing bell and the thunderstorm and, you know, the rain pouring down. And all of you like, oh, my God, what is this? And all of a sudden, the, the devil's tritone comes in. He's like, oh, this is this is scary music. This is freaking me out. I love it. And then he uh, turns to his cousin. He's like, what else do you have at Acid Rock? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Scott's Scott's a, a great guy and a practically an academic uh, scholar of of all things Sabbath and Iommi, um, and was great to talk to about Tony Iommi's particular style of playing, yeah, and, and what makes Sabbath such a the penultimate metal band. Yeah. Um, awesome. And so we, so I was able to feature a lot of that in the episode. So it's been it's been fun, you know. Um, it's the devil in metal. But it's tongue in cheek because we're yeah. not talking about Satanism or, or you know, uh, you should latch onto this evil music because uh, you know the demon wants your soul. It's it's all about the tropes and and the ideas that people have about what metal does to its listeners. Uh, you know, so there's all the quote unquote evil things that happen to those who are metal metal followers. So we have a, a subsequent episodes on on. Uh, sex and drugs and uh particularly heroin which is a pretty dangerous and horrible uh drug to be yeah. to be hooked on and having said that the people who survive their addiction you know have had these horror stories and insane uh near-death experiences but they've also a lot of them have crazy hysterical tales to tell too um so i wanted to get that in there and and you know, without glorifying any of it, it's all—they're all cautionary tales. But uh, Al Jurgensen and uh, some other people uh, talk about their their Chris uh, boy Dave Navarro from James Addiction has a crazy ass story in there. So so that was cool. Um, and then uh, you know, like I said, we've got that uh, Judas Priest double uh, episode that's going to be near the end of the season. So there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff uh, stuff on Ronnie James Dio and, and his importance and the blackest days of his his career is something we'll touch on and the horror and metal too the, uh, the the comparisons and the synergy between horror fiction and and horror movies and people who are really into horror versus uh, people who are really into metal and how how really similar a lot of them are and and a lot of them kind of cross you know. There's a there's a, uh, a crossover there. I think I think most I won't say most, but an awful lot of friends who I've had that have been in the metal have also been really into horror, like to the point where you know the Japanese 
directors and the you were uh, talking one right here i'm in i'm totally in the japanese horror italian horror you know yeah me too oh man i I just i got probably twenty thousand horror films in my house right now on dvd (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, Argento, lucio lucio falsi (laughs) all that good stuff man amazing stuff it is and i think it goes hand in hand with metal i think it does i mean absolutely it goes hand in hand with then you got a lot of metal uh, horror and metal like like cradle of filth and some other bands i mean how many bands have the horror like in them in in their in their not even a look but their album covers and their music. There's a lot of them out there. So that's a great man. I mean, podcast is right up our alley. <laughs> yeah, I'm following. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening to it. <laughs> I find it fascinating, cool. man. Well, it's I, great. You know. Yeah, one thing I wanted to do with it with you know I mean I love podcasts where uh, the podcasters love metal and know metal and they interview someone who's in a metal band or is a metal writer and have a great conversation back and forth which I love doing when I'm you know, interviewing an artist or an article in a magazine or something. Mm-hmm. But I also love true, pod, true crime podcasts and, and narrative podcasts that really tell a story. Mm-hmm. So yep. instead of just talking to one or two guys about a particular subject, I tackled the subject and wrote a script about it and then filled it in with quotes from all these various people. Uh, a lot of them are new interviews, but, but some I've been able to... Uh, uh, put together from from archival interviews all the way back to when I was using cassette tapes. That is awesome. <laughs> you know, I had this crazy ass pile of micro cassette tapes that I found in a box that I I was searching for when I I first got the podcast. I'm like, oh man, it would be great if I still had some of those interviews. And it was like the devil answered my call because uh, I dug through the back of a closet and opened the box. Boom! Like all this, you know, all these old interviews. There's one I had where Ozzy's interviewing. Uh, no, actually, uh, uh, Peter Steele from Typo Negative is interviewing Avi, and uh, that was her article I did. Man, obviously a long time ago because poor Pete's been gone for a while. Yeah, but, uh, this was back in the '90s, early '90s. So it was uh, it was a trip. What a fascinating career you've had. I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, to it's be not even over yet. <laughs> it's great. It's great to be able to talk to somebody that actually knows something about something, and is also a fan <laughs> of metal. You know what I'm saying? Metal and punk, and, and yeah, I guess yeah. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Well, I that's mean, the cool thing about yeah. You know, I mean, you get right, casual music fans, right? Like they they'll love something maybe in, in in high school or college or or whatever. They'll get really attached to a specific genre, be it. Uh, mm-hmm you know, indie rock or, or, uh, alternative, uh, or goth or, or whatever. And then when they get older, they'll find another kind of music or, or, you know, their musical tastes will become a little bit more, uh, or their interest in music will fade as they have kids and start families. Metal guys, metal, metal girls, metal people are, are real lifers. And I've always loved that about, about the music. It really becomes so much of, of who you are. It's a part of your identity and twisted for it's life. It's not something I've, yeah. I've grown out of, you know. I mean, some people grow out of it, sure, and they go on and do other things and like other kinds of music. Mm-hmm. That's cool too. But uh, most people I know who like metal, if you're, loved a, it as, yeah, if you're a true metalhead, right? If you're a true metalhead, yeah, it's metal yeah. for you're, life. You're metal <laughs> for life. You're not a poser. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You love all kinds of metal. Live the newer metal nowadays, and I mean, it's it's in your blood. And the metal community is the one of the strongest is, yeah. communities out there. Yeah, it really is, and and you know the the most supportive of its of its favorite I, band. I mean, but the poser thing is so funny because I remember there was a time where I was like, if something has keyboards in it, man, I, I'm never going to listen to it. It sucks. It's not. It's not metal. 
Yeah. And then, you know, you hear Ronnie Dio do Rainbow in the Dark, tons of keyboards. Or you hear, uh, you know, keyboards in, in Ozzy's music. Or, or Suicide. Whitesnake or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or like you <laughs> so know, John Lord in Deep Purple. Come on, people, you know? Yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> so, so then it's like, okay, man, I'm not going to listen to anything with electronic drums. And then, you know, Neil Peart from Rush starts playing electronic drums. And if you like Def Leppard, you know, there's a lot of that in that, too. And the people in um, up for about... So it's, really, it's really funny. Like Judas Priest doing Turbo, Sorry? right? Turbo? No, Turbo, oh, yeah. And yeah, like uh, they, Iron Maiden, Summer, I, I in, summer, summer in Time. They got you know, yeah. upset about that as well, but... Well, there's a side of it where it's <laughs> like, uh, you know, is it prog rock or is it metal? There is that. There is that right. question in the world. Right. And prog rock has a lot there of keywords. But you know. it's also... It's a funny thing, because some prog rock is so metal, and to me, is so cool. Like, I love I love Mastodon. I love Rush. You what know, Hawkwind? Um, I'm always bringing up Hawkwind. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> Hawkwind were great! But that's, that's like almost like space rock, kraut rock stuff. I love sure. all the Noi. <laughs> it's very kraut rock. I love Noi, and, yeah, and Can and all those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Shout I was always, always trying to do, a, um, do a, a kraut rock show, but it just doesn't fit too well with all our metal. You know, I think no, it does. But Tool, Tool are a total metal band, but, yeah, but right. uh, it's not the same kind of metal band that the Dokken is, you know? Right. So there's there's just so much in metal that I think people can love. And you can hate one thing, but dig another. And, you know, like I, I still love the first two Motley Crue albums, mm-hmm. but get to Girls, 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 not so much, you know? Right. <laughs> I can't really. This is, how, this is kind of how I feel about metal. Metallica. Nothing past Injustice for All for me. <laughs> really? I, Not even the Black Album? The Ballads, my friend. The Ballads. <laughs> I mean, I hated but, the Black Album when it came out. Yeah. I was so mad at them. And now it's one of my favorite records. It's just got such great tunes on it. But like your Nothing Else so well Matters written. compared to like Fade to Black or Welcome Home Sanitarium, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, we're but sort of anti ballad Yeah. <laughs> I, guess have, I guess you could have both. You well, know, here, here's the thing. Is that, oh, but come on, Pan, Pantera, Cemetery Gates? Well, Cemetery Gates is... Pantera's a different story. Pantera's a totally different That's story. That's a ballad, though, right? Yeah, but it's a cool it's ballad. A ballad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is it cool or not? And if it's cool, then who cares what you're calling it? You know, if uh, you, you listen to Poison and you think they're cool, then... Maybe there's something wrong with you, but <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's just your, your, you know, style well, of metal. Let's throw the score. Let's throw the scorpions out there. They got some pretty ballady stuff, uh, but they're the scorpions. Yeah, totally. So the, wind, the winds have changed. And, yeah. and some ass-kicking rockers too. Dude. I mean, their old stuff's incredible, isn't it? You know, when I first heard because I had always heard the ballads on the radio or whatever, and the scorpions and the scorpions. But then I actually delved into the older stuff one time, and I was like, yeah, wow. learn some crow and everything. Sure, yeah. Uli John, oh, yeah. John Roth, Jim, man. Lee Roth, for yeah. sure. Michael for Shanker. Sure. Rudy yeah. Shanker. Not, not everybody can do Dirk Shanker. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, Rudy's still in there, isn't he? <laughs> I think he's still in there. Rudy's there. They're still, they're still on that you know, reunion tour or whatever, the final tour they're going to do for all uh, all eternity. Kind of like... Uh, kind of like Cher. Kiss. Uh, like Kiss, Kiss or, and, or Ozzy. Uh, yeah, Kiss and Ozzy and, and uh, Motley Crue. And, you know, tour till we drop tour. Yeah. Yeah, more power to him. Yeah, I guess everybody needs. I mean, how are you making money in the? You're not making money on the radio anymore, <laughs> so you might as well right, go right. out there and tour. What do you think about the current state of our radio these days? What do you think about it? 
you know, there's there's so many different kinds of radio mm-hmm. that I think it's it's um, great that I mean mainstream radio not so much. It's really hard to find anybody who'll play good rock, let alone metal. Even even a station that plays the Foo Fighters these days is <laughs> almost an anomaly. Right. But yep. underground radio is alive and well, and uh, internet radio and and uh, even satellite radio has got some really killer stuff. Yeah, it does. So um, it's all kind of where you search for. Like people said, metal was dead when grunge came in, and I loved a lot of the grunge stuff. But you know, it was clear that a lot of metal bands had kind of worn out their their welcome in 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 terms of kind of trying formulas to death, and labels well, were signing the same kinds of bands over and over. Um, but then a whole underground sprouted up, yeah. and you know there were tons of death metal and black metal bands that surfaced during during that time. So but I think people, if you and now yeah. now with with Spotify and and mm-hmm. with all these uh, you know file sharing and internet services, you can access this great stuff um, without well without having to pay for it. I guess is one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you could is a lot more exposure that you have to this stuff. Um, so you can separate the really, the really great music from the, from the disposable shit. Um, yep. so it's, it's kind of like a, a double edged sword. Cause on one hand it's, you know, when you have to search for your music and, and uh, take a bus like 20 miles and, you know, hunt for that indie record store and, you know, look at that worn cover and see if they even have the one you're looking for and plunk down your $10 bill or whatever it was for vinyl. Like, there's a certain triumph in that, and you've earned it. But when you're just, like, flipping through Spotify and going, hmm, I don't know, do I like Diamond Head? Let me check. And yeah. then, you know, you're yeah. hearing, like, eh, you know, it is kind of like Metallica. But, you know, it's just, yep. I don't want to be that old guy saying, get off my lawn. But uh, We do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's something to that. Uh, the, the thing that I love about, the thing, I, I'm going to just say this really quick about metal, is that the people that are in it are in it for life, and, they, and they're true to their art. And they don't really care about, I mean, Dark Throne. You think they care about <laughs> Billie no. Eilish? No. You think they care about, right? you know what I mean? Do you think Bohemoth cares about winning a Grammy? No. Bohemoth? Right. Shit. It's not no. about trend and it's not about, Cradle of yeah. Filth doesn't yeah. care. No, Just look at them. nobody cares. They don't care. Iron Man doesn't care about getting a rock hall off. Fame. Ghost. Care. Look at Ghost. You know, they're a great example. They're just up there doing their freaky show. That's and they're, and they're, they're true to their art. And that's one of the things I love about the whole metal scene and the punk scene is that they could care less about that. Cause they're, they're well, in it for their for metal life. will never die. We know even when grunge happened, metal just went to Europe and continued to thrive, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And then, you know, then it came back. Or it went underground too. Yeah. It went and underground. then you got other people like, uh, you know, like the twisted sister or Judas priest or these bands have been around forever. And Judas yeah. priest last album was probably their hardest album ever. Yeah, you know? yeah, it was pretty killer. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, definitely. it was great. Right? Great and record. We just saw Iron Maiden. We saw King Diamond recently. I mean, yeah, they're still out doing their thing. Still out doing their thing. Yeah, I mean, so on. I mean, on that note, when you were a youngster, like you know, we were one time, <laughs> John. <laughs> what was the very first metal album you went and bought with your own money? Oh, that's a good question. Ah, oh, the first album I bought with my own money. That's a funny question because it was sort of of a pivotal point in my life. I. I saved up my like $5 from allowance and I figured I could afford one album. I was at variety records at the, at the mall looking back and forth. I'm like, well, you know, there's this, this U2 album called war, mm-hmm. which has these songs on the radio that are kind of cool. I kind of like them, but there's this album with 
an apartment building that's like up in flames and it looks like there's a, a target on, on the front where something's blown it up and, you know, they've got uh, the song Pyromania. Uh, yeah, there was a song Pyromania, of course, on, on the album. And, and uh, so, yeah, I went with the, uh, I went with Def Leppard's Pyromania. That's <laughs> wow. a good choice, That was man. like the beginning. And that was a pretty ripping album. They got a little, a little uh, more commercial and mainstream as time went on. But um, yeah, know, they, they, they lost remember, me they after that. Yeah, new wave of Brit- yeah, they wanted the original new wave of British heavy metal uh, bands. That was that was paraded as you know the new the new thing. I know people want to like discount them from the new wave British heavy metal because they had the song America or whatever, and I think they sold out. But they're people, new album. They're definitely new album. They're new album. There's no yeah, way out of it. New album. Yeah, especially the early stuff. You know. High and dry. Yeah, on through the night. Yeah, yeah great. Out. They were right. They were on right. Uh, it's sure. like it, it's like where Iron Maiden stayed the course. They kind of diverged over to the pop thing, but Iron Maiden didn't. You know what I mean? Nick, Iron Maiden never right. did that. Yeah, but Pyromania is a solid album, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't right. care what anybody yeah. says. <laughs> so you don't want to pour sugar on it? Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> yeah. I'll pour, I'll pour a little sugar, but I, I'll prefer their their oldies for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So tell me some of your most memorable interviews, not only on uh, on on the podcast, but in your in, in in your years of doing journalism for Rolling Stone and other other magazines. Tell me some really cool mm-hmm. ones. One of some of your favorite ones, if you can remember. Um, well, there's some super favorite, and then then some some like just crazy memorable for other reasons. And I'll kind of start with that. Um, I did, and as as I talk about in the heroin episode. Uh, I did an interview with uh, Alice in Chains when I was at Rolling Stone. Um, they did a cover story on the band and had me fly out to uh, Seattle to talk to all of them. Um, none of them had done anything in about 18 months. And Lane Scaly was pretty much off the map as far as anyone was concerned. But uh, they said if he would do the interview, they would make it a cover. And they said, if you put all of us on the cover, we'll do it. So the agreement was made. I flew out there and spent a lot of time with these guys. And uh, had a super good time. It was it was really it was pretty cool. But it was clear that Lane was uh, you know deep in the throes of some some pretty awful stuff. Um, he was he was a, a heroin addict, and and although he wouldn't flat out admit it, it was pretty obvious. And mm-hmm. if you see or if you listen to the episode or or even read that article that uh, is available online, um, he pretty much comes out and says, well, you know what I do is art and whatever I do to make my art happen shouldn't concern anyone. And say meatloaf, you know, no one says meatloaf. Why you eat so much? Why are you fat? Right. You know, no one says that to him cause he's meatloaf. So if I want to do something and it doesn't affect my music, it shouldn't concern anyone else. Right. Which is pretty much an admission kind of by default. Um, but the, the, the telling moment was he's uh, at an Italian restaurant and uh, we're, we're all, having a, a good a good family style dinner and Lane's barely touching his food and he's, he's got his sleeves uh, of his flannel shirt buttoned in a really weird way um, they're buttoned between his thumb and his forefinger mm. so it kind of covered his hands up to the knuckles and I thought oh okay well you know that's an interesting look whatever um, and then he came back from a trip to the bathroom and his, his sleeves were up uh, unbuttoned and the whole backs of his hands were covered with, with uh, needle marks and I was like, "Ouch! Okay, that's that's you know, that's the harsh reality of of addiction." Because he wasn't about to wait till the end of the session with a journalist to shoot up. You know, right. he was so deep in the throes of heroin that uh, 
and that's the tragic side of it. You know, that's someone who's an addict, there's nothing else, you know, and, and they don't even love shooting up at that point. It's just a need, you know, something that they have to have like air. It's a maintenance yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the tragic side of it. But, uh, that was a, that was a big story for me. Um, and a big, you know, but well, what a great my, band on the career. other side of things after he died. I mean, that, that when they they came back, they had that new singer. And Allison changes the other. They're kicking ass. They sounded great. Yeah. And They're it sounds, still great. Yeah. So great. Yeah. I got a chance to Unfortunately, they won't talk to me because guess what the fucking magazine did? Really? What? Rolling Stone decides to put only Lane Staley on the cover with <sighs> the headline, The Needle and the Damage Done. Oh, no. So, like, <laughs> really? Oh, man. Yeah. Ouch. And then the band blames me. And uh, that was the last interview I did with <laughs> with Alice and Chains, sadly. Um, wow. But I don't hold it against them. I think they got screwed over by. That's almost like an almost famous story right there. I mean, that's like an almost famous story right there. Isn't it? <laughs> wow. Yeah, except Cameron Crowe got a whole lot more almost famous than I did. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, what was it was a blast. Um, man, there've been. So many cool interviews I've done, um, and and uh, any, great any drunken that craziness that, that uh, involved a uh, stolen car, or anything like that, or uh, getting going to jail. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> drunken craziness involved throwing up afterwards and thinking, "Oh my god, why did I do this?" Doing Al Jurgensen's book was was mad because he was clean, but he wasn't sober. He was drinking uh, bottles of wine like, you know, bottles of, of uh, spring water on a hot summer day. Sure. So uh, the first day I'm, I'm with him in the studio, he's like, yeah, I hear the new record. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. And he's turning it up as loud as it'll go. And I'm like, okay, you know, I've listened to Motorhead at top volume. I can I can stand this. Um, and, and uh, you know, with the wine coming in and pouring it into these uh, plastic, uh, these really classy plastic wine glasses. Because <laughs> I guess he had his share of breaking too many of the glass ones, and his wife wouldn't let him have any more. Yeah. So uh, we're just going through bottle after bottle after bottle, and I'm I'm like, man, you know, I'm a casual drinker, but I have I hadn't drank like that since college, really. Um, but it was so much fucking fun. I was like, dude, I gotta take a piss. He's like, nah, we don't have a bathroom here. We piss in the bushes. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, okay. So he like opens the back, you know, the door of the studio is like, just go piss outside and come back. I want to play the song again. I'm like, oh, okay, man. Okay, that looks cool. Um, and, and the next day I was so hungover. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the week. <laughs> but uh, he's like, he said, basically he's like, dude, that was a test and you passed. I'm like, all right, man. If I could pass a ministry test, then... Uh, you know, you're in. You're in. I could. I, I drank with Pantera and I survived that. But uh, I gotta say, Al Jurgensen would have whipped Pantera's ass if they got in that drinking contest. Wow, Al, Al is quite a trip, like isn't he? Al, Al's a trip. That guy's a yeah. trip. I could talk to him a couple times. He's a trip, man. Because you'd see him around yeah. town when yeah, I, you know, I lived in Chicago for many years, and I see him around town. You still run into him every now and then. He's a trip, man. He could drink totally, too. He totally could drink. funny guy. Oh yeah, I don't know if he's drinking now. Actually, he might be sober. I think he's sober he, he now. He has been for a long time. Yeah, I think he kind of has to be. Dude, dude your liver can only um, take so much. <laughs> I, I know. One of the smartest guys, so witty and funny, and just so many good stories. He's he's one of my favorite uh, people to interview, just because I he's always got just you know huge piles of of stories, and some of them I've heard before, of course, because I wrote 
his book with him. But sometimes I'll pull out a new one. I'll be like, damn, Al, you, how come you didn't tell me that when we were going to print? You know, print. Yeah, I forgot about it. <laughs> well, it can always be uh, can, can, can yeah, be a yeah, part yeah. two, right? Part two book, right? Yeah, part two of Al Jordan. Yeah, come on. that's right. Continue in Lost Gospels. His, his, uh, his coffee table picture book. So, oh. you know, uh, with photos through the years and some, some stories that uh, involve those ages. But, uh, yeah, we haven't haven't talked about doing the, the follow-up. I don't know. You know, we took it all the way through the, the, the last album, though, really. So I'm not sure in, if unless you did a totally different kind of a book, like a political book or or you know, a book about some, some social scene or something. Um, I, th- I think it would be hard to do cause he, he talked about his whole life and it was, uh, you know, told without pulling any punches at all. <laughs> now something I'm fascinated in is but those are the kind of books I really love, you know, what was, what I was, mean, I, I, why'd you pick agnostic front? I think that's just an interesting choice. I'm wondering where that came from. Well, when I did, uh, louder than hell, I did a, a chapter on crossover metal and, um, mm-hmm. When I discovered crossover metal, I became a huge fan of uh, Agnostic Front and DRI and COC. Uh, but the Agnostic Front stuff I was into, you know, wasn't their their uh, really early hardcore stuff. Uh, you know, United Blood was was a totally different different animal than uh, um, uh, Justice. Now. Metallica's and Justice for All, so so uh, Agnostic Front was li- with Liberty and Justice for. I think that's what they called it. I'm yeah. not sure. Okay. Uh, and they they claimed that Metallica stole their title, but <laughs> <laughs> um, there was no no harm no foul. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, they became a really groundbreaking metalish band uh, in in that vein as uh, Suicidal and and you know, Corrosion of Conformity and DRI. Um, but they came from that real New York, Lower East Side, rootsy, yeah. you know, balls out hardcore. That's kind of how you know him, right. And when I interviewed him for Louder Than Hell, yeah, he talked about living on the Lower East Side and, you know, being homeless and being in these squats and having people try to break into his these squats. And he had these dogs, these Dobermans that he would chase out drug dealers with and you know, these guys would get in these fights with other band members and there's huge rivalries between like Boston hardcore and New York hardcore. Um, and there were these other, uh, fights that they would get in with, with, uh, these frat type guys who just wanted to give them a hard time. And of course everyone thought they were, you know, neo-Nazis cause they were skinheads and they weren't, you know, they believed in, uh, in equality and they, they believed in individuality. So, but hearing, hearing these stories from them, I'm thinking, Damn, man, you know, the sob stories I hear from metal dudes mostly are like, yeah, man, my parents got divorced and it was such a bummer. I started drinking heavily and, you know, I, I was, my, my, uh, cut for stealing a car and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and we used to get in these little fights sometimes. I smoked pot. I'm like, okay, that's a totally different breed than this dude who went to jail for 18 m- months for, for, you know, basically, uh, being a pot, uh, not pot, a hair, uh, a, not heroin, cocaine. Yeah, I'm, I'm on like my, my speed buzz here. Um, too much coffee, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was busted for for uh, you know Korean cocaine, and, and it was a uh, situation where where he was set up, but he still did 18 months. And I'm like, wow, 18 months behind bars is pretty hardcore compared to the sentence of someone like Tommy Lee, you know, yeah. who <laughs> gets in trouble and does a few 
public uh, service announcements and a few weeks behind bars. I don't know how long he was actually in jail, but uh, Roger was in hardcore jail. You know, he he, he was in uh, the places where you have to align yourself with uh, a crew in order to sort of to, you know survive and not get get beat down. And he's a big guy. So I, I just thought that uh, his his life story was incredible, and uh, he was just at the point where he he was like, "Yeah, man, I'm ready to tell it all." And I liked interviewing, you know, you, you uh, with, for the book, and I uh, trust you to, to do my story justice. And, was, and I was felt really honored that he did. Um, and it's great that Agnostic Front has had the kind of uh, career resurgence that they have. Uh, you know, they they had that movie. It was like a buddy film about uh, Roger Moret and Vinny Stigma. Yep. Um, it was on sh- on Showtime. The Godfather's a hardcore. Is it uh, uh, a guy who became a really a friend of mine? Actually, uh, Ian McFarland did. And if any, anyway, if you haven't seen that, but you like the band, or even if you don't, it's just it's a great documentary. And it's not about the band's history. And it's not about hardcore music, but it is. And it's also about the relationship between these two guys. And you know what went on over the years and how they're still fighting for uh, what they believe in and, and living, living hardcore. Like, you know, that's, that's their life. That's what they know. Um, so that's, that was exciting to me. That's how I got into doing that. And I, I really only want to do a book if the person I'm doing with it, uh, it with has a real story um, and has this kind of uh, jaws of defeat rise from the ashes kind of thing going on. Cool. Awesome. I mean, if any band's hardcore, it's Agnostic Front, that's on, for people. sure. <laughs> you know, Screw your heads on. Yeah, great, great band. <laughs> yeah. Cause for Alarm, that's the album. Yeah, yeah man. So and, I want to go back for a second. Jinx go ahead. was the name of that chick. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jinx Dawes, that's right. From Coven. <laughs> From Coven. Who claims Yeah, that? yeah. I think I said Lofton or Larson. I'm like, God damn it. I know it. It's in my brain somewhere. I sure, sure forgive you. <laughs> We'd hope so. So I want to talk about the second episode. I hope episode. you don't curse me. Jesus <laughs> well. really knows what to do. <laughs> so in your second episode of Satanic Versus Volume 2, I, fo- mm-hmm. I found it funny and fascinating when you when you went out and got your first Venom album. <laughs> <laughs> it's all true, man. <laughs> Venom is a real thing. Yeah, you know. That's the part. It was part of that quest. It was like, a, what's heavier? What's faster? What's more aggressive? You know, I I discovered Slayer, and I liked Motorhead, and I I, I knew Anthrax, but I knew there had to be something out there that was more fucked up. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a, a friend uh, did some reconnaissance and was like, Yeah, I heard there's this band Venom from from Newcastle, and that they're really, uh, you know, really bad news. You got, you, I think you should check it out. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, found my way to the record store and listened to it and had this little moral, uh, fight in my, in my head with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. And angel is, uh, kicking the devil's ass saying, you can't buy this. This is too messed up. It's all about every song's about Satan. And, you know, these guys look like they're serial killers. (laughs) The music doesn't even sound like it was recorded in, in, in key or, or, you know, playing at the same time. Right. And then the other side of me is like, no, fuck you, this is the heaviest thing I've ever heard. This is cool. <laughs> but still, I was like, I can't do it. I, you know, I thank the record store guy, and I'm like, they let you listen to the vinyl, you know, at the time to test it out. Um, and then it, it kept going through my head all day. I'm like, I can't, I, this, this record's just, just stuck in the back of my mind. I can't, I, I have to have it. And I rushed back to the store, 
and picked up black metal by Venom. And it was a real life altering moment because, you know, of course they were one of the first, uh, really, uh, uh, demonic satanic bands and really a precursor to black metal. The album was called black metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing is you learn later that it was all shtick, you know, yeah. I mean, they didn't believe in the devil or God. They just wanted to be really, really controversial and piss people off. They sure love doing that. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, the, you know, the first drums like "Welcome to Hell" and "Black Metal." I mean, those the the the, the songs on it. The music sounds so raw, like they did it in one take, and that was enough. Yeah, it's like boom, they literally recorded <laughs> it like a boombox in the basement. It was like a bootleg. Yeah, and it, and it paved the way for like the first wave of black metal. Yeah, yeah man. You know, or the second wave, I guess, where these these albums sound like someone put a, a microphone on the bottom of a well. And the band stood on a picnic table and all played at the same time. Right. <laughs> you know? That's exactly what it is. I mean, okay, so let's talk about the Norwegian black metal scene for a minute here. Okay. I mean, because we did a whole radio show, six hours of black metal. Hope yeah. they enjoyed that. <laughs> nice. I mean, we get what, away with these things out here. What's your whole take? What's your whole take on this scene? Was it was it Satanism? Was it paganism? Was it just people off their meds? Were what they vegans? You? Yeah, maybe oh, it could have been vegans. I always get vegans you know mixed what? up with pagans. It was it was young dudes who liked extremism and rebellion and were from, you know, arguably messed up families um, and were really in a situation where they wanted to one-up anything that had come before. So, you know, they had, they're like, well, we want to be real Satanists. And of course they hated Christianity and being, um, from Norway, they believe in their, their ancestors with the great Vikings, and the Vikings had their whole cultures you know, torn to smithereens by, by the Christians. Yep. So to the point where the, the uh, Christians even um, kind of uh, commandeered a lot of the, the Viking um, symbolism, like the you know, Christmas tree, for instance, or, or uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what other... Uh, oh, we're following you, we're following you. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So these guys have something to rebel against and they want to be totally extreme and they're young and out of control. And they're like, well, what can we do with out of control? And, you know, one thing leads to another in these meetings they have about uh, being extreme and being Satanists. And you got the guys in mayhem and some other individuals. Sure. Uh, who, some of which were really hateful and really, you know, violent and aggressive and uh, they decided to start burning churches, you know? That, that was the uh, thing that, uh, I hate mentioning his name, but you kind of can't can't talk about black metal without him. Uh, Varg Vikernes, the, the, yep. the person, yep. who I think is a piece of shit and a Nazi. Yeah, uh, yep, pretty much. You know, uh, <laughs> not a terribly talented musician, though he was influential, I'll give him that. Right. And uh, I kind of kind of wish Euronymous uh, had killed him and not the other way around. Right. But that's that's my bias right there. But anyway, you know, he had a huge impact in the violence and the and the one upsmanship that took place in the scene and got dudes who were an emperor to go out and burn churches. Yeah, so basically he fueled the fire. It became this out of control thing. Yeah, I would say he was the primary I mean didn't he you know, he got uh, he got he got blamed for the church burnings too in his in his trial for his murder of Hieronymus, right? They put the church mm-hmm. burnings on him as well. He did. He, I don't think he ever really burned a church down. I don't think he did at least. I don't know. I no, don't he, think did. He, he did. He was did. the first oh, one. Oh did did he the yeah, okay. Yeah, he was he was the first one to go to a church and burn it and then he took photos 
and he came back and he was he did an interview with the press talking about um you know how he burned a church and how he's the extreme satanist and the ultimate black metal dude and the other ones are all fake mm-hmm. and he he bragged to all his friends about it and it's like come on man like you know if you're gonna do something as criminally uh insane you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. insane right yeah if, if you're liable and 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 you've, you've taken these steps aren't you gonna cover your tracks a little bit not brag to the newspapers and your friends and you know people knocked on him and that's how they got him for the for the church burnings um but they didn't even go to jail right away and things escalated and then there was this crazy rivalry between him and Euronymous and a lot of shit talking back and forth and and uh, you know one thing led to another he said Euronymous wanted to kill him and mm-hmm. Euronymous you know getting around to tell the tale but people who he was with said that they were terrified of Varg and Varg owed him money and this and that and the weird thing is Varg played bass on uh, on on the mysterious uh, uh, Thomas yep. I always get the exact title of that album. Yeah, I know. It's hard to pronounce, but the Mayhem album, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first, first big Mayhem album. Um, so they uh, they said they went back and re-recorded the bass parts, but they actually never did. That, that's not Necrobutcher. It's really, uh, oh. it's really, really uh, you know, Varg, because, because Necrobutcher Butcher left the band after Dead committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, he was so pissed at Euronymous for using dead suicide as, as an opportunity for publicity. You know, right. Euronymous took photos of dead body yep. yeah, yeah. and yeah, spread them around. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I, and I talk a little bit about that in the, you know, in the podcast episode as well and, and how pissed Necro Butcher was about it. So he just was like, didn't, uh, he have pieces of his up. skull too. He passed around. Didn't he do that? Um, yeah, Hellhammer, the drummer, was, and, and uh, Euronymous played a role in that, uh, oh. reportedly, you know, that, that uh, they, they wanted to see what human brain tasted like. So uh, <laughs> apparently Euronymous wanted to take, take a teeny piece of the brain and put it in the stew. And uh, it's really funny because I interviewed them shortly after it happened a long, long time ago. And uh, some of the first U.S. press that they were doing, and I asked, uh, it's not in the episode, but I asked Hellhammer, if he had uh, tasted the brain too, and he said, "No, I do not. I do not like to spoil food that way. I, I, I like to eat good food, so I'm not interested in eating human brain." That was his reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah, sure. You know, no problem with his his vocalist having just blown his head off, but uh, sure, don't want to don't want to touch the brain. Um, but yeah, I, I I think there were stories of them using little bits of bone shards to make necklaces. You don't know how much of it is just rumor and, and sensationalism right. and how much is the truth. Because right. there were books that subsequently came out that have been, you know, their their uh, accuracy has been questioned. Like the first Lord of Chaos book, the one that was used to make that movie. Yeah, the movie. Nobody yeah, the movie, yeah. in the scene, nobody in the scene wanted to participate for that movie at all. Yet it kept the title as the book. And a lot of these guys have, have claimed that the stories that were told in the book and the interviews that they're attributed to have given are, are inaccurate. So it's a, it was a crazy scene. The cool thing is there's still some great black metal. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, it didn't ruin, uh, it gave tons of attention to the whole Norwegian uh, black metal movement. But even today, like that, there's a French band, Blue Tass Nord, who play uh, industrial black metal, who I just think are amazing. 
really super creative guys and, and uh, Watain as seriously satanic and kind of messed up as, as, as they are. I think they write really, really good songs. Yeah. You know? Isn't Varg so, living in France now too? Varg? I have no idea where Varg is at. He's I heard he lives in France. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where he is now. I know he was doing records for a little while. He was out of jail. If you do want to kill someone or burn churches or engage in horrific acts that I condone in no way whatsoever, go do it in uh, in Norway because their jail sentences yeah. seem to be <laughs> we were saying the know, same like thing. months to maybe a couple of years. They gave him a couple of years in a synthesizer. Yeah, didn't he give him all the equipment <laughs> to create a band in our music? What's yeah, that? he's recorded his records yeah, in there. right. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's what you want to get in trouble, I suppose. You know? That's crazy, but, um, man. You know, but that's, that's, that's metal taken to its absolute and penultimate extreme, you know? And in a way, you got to say, well, metal is all about extremism and pushing boundaries. And there have to be limits legally. But if you're a follower of someone like, you know, Aleister Crowley, what he says is, do what that wilt shall be the whole of the law. But mm-hmm. you're responsible for what you do. And if you choose to engage in these horrible things, then there are going to be consequences. Yeah, but you let's know, face which is it. Why when I, I, go, I, I was just going to say, no, you know, 99% like, of this is theater, you know? So, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. And people blame these bands and blame these people for being, you know, oh, you know, my son uh, went on, joined a underground satanic cult and killed his classmate and uh, recruited, you know, someone else to, I don't know, have some some uh, sacrificial right involved with it. And, and this shit does happen, mm-hmm. but it's not because someone was listening to black metal. It's because someone was fucked in the head. Right. You know, if, if you're... I mean, you can't blame, you can't blame, you can't blame Seals and Croft on being a pussy. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> they exist. You know what I mean? It's, it's, they exist. It's there. James Taylor's there too. Sure. I'm just saying, you know. That's right. Now you're ripping a James Taylor. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I you know. I mean, Seals and Cross may have been but the I'm single so, yeah. biggest reason people didn't get laid. I mean, oh, it's impossible. Oh, my God. Papa Seals and Croft taping. I hate hearing that excuse from people who are like, oh, you know, uh, Colin Bide wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Marilyn Manson. Yeah, like, right. really? Well, Give me a break. You know, maybe Marilyn Manson is responsible for a lot of bad things and some bad music, but it wasn't. It wasn't because of Columbine. I mean, if you're mentally disturbed, you're off your meds, you know, and you listen to voices in your head. You can't blame Uh, weak-minded people on music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's just weak-minded people. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. Come on. Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, Satanism nowadays is like almost commercialized. You know, I saw a kid the other day walking down the street with a a Baphomet backpack on, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's a Hot Topic thing now. You know, you walk into Hot Topic and... You, you buy your incantation T-shirt or, right. or you know, yeah. some other death metal band from the '80s that you were 25 years. You get too your young pentagram to necklace, you know, and your pentagram watch. You know? <laughs> I don't know earrings, but whatever. We had to earn that shit. And what about what about if that little Nas in his little Nas in his double sh- 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 shoes? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see little Nas? Guys, I don't know if you guys are around the same <laughs> same age as I was, but if you walked around wearing a, a Venom shirt that said "Welcome to Hell" on it or something you were going to get some real negative feedback. Yeah. People were going to, you know, it wasn't a case where someone was going to say, oh, cool, look, you buy that at Hot Topic? No, you probably bought it in some, like, backstreet alley with some guy with, with <laughs> had boot-like shirts. Yeah. Or you got it at the concert. Right. Where there were uh, a bunch of other degenerates. Um, and then possibly got your ass kicked for wearing it in public. So. Right. 
definitely a different world. Yeah. But now, like, like he's talking about little Nas and his little shoes he had out, the satanic shoes he made. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nas, come on. Come on. They sell him for, like, three grand or something, and he's trying to be all satanic. Come on. Come on now. What about the Biebs walking around with his Iron Maiden T-shirt on? Well, that's different. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, they have all the runway models were wearing their Motorhead shirts. Yeah. I never heard of Motorhead. Let me if you... I was asked Lemmy if that disgusted him. He's like, nah, I sold more shirts. You know? Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah, nowadays you don't give yeah. a crap. Whatever you want to wear is fine. You don't want to wear a death shirt, go ahead. You know? I see that stuff all the time. Yeah. It's, it, it makes me crack up. But uh, What was that? You saw some guy on TV the other day wearing a Burzum shirt. Yeah, there was a guy interviewing <laughs> on the news out here in Arizona had a Burzum shirt on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Talking about the state of employment in the U.S. Yeah, but let, let's just make this point one more time. You don't just stumble into a Burzum shirt. You got to be pretty hardcore to have a Burzum shirt on. I mean, you got to be pretty seriously. You don't just yeah. you don't just find yeah. that at the thrift store and say, "Hmm, I like this shirt." <laughs> you know what I mean? You I don't think you, you, no, you, totally. I don't think you're going down in a Goodwill and finding a Burzum shirt on the rack. <laughs> <laughs> Some guy shows it up a Burzum shirt. Something's going on. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's a little bit of a commitment there. That's, that's a it commitment. Is. It's a commitment. It Burzum is. is a commitment. It's not like wearing a Slayer shirt. It's not the same. <laughs> no. no. You got a Burzum shirt on, there's something serious going on. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, yeah, for sure, man. So what do you think about yeah, the current evolution of metal music? What, what's happening in the future? Like, now we have, we notice thousands of, like, genres of metal, brutal death metal, you know, and, and man, symphonic so black metal, and, and screamo, and sludge metal. And, so what do you think about the current oh, evolution no. of metal music? Who knows? Right. Uh, you know, it, it's it's really it's really hard to tell because you know there are bands that keep evolving and there's things like some people love them. Alex asking Alexandria and Black Veil Brides and even those bands are ten years old now. Yeah, so their new Code Orange is a newer band. And I actually think really are really good and they're, they're more on the hardcore tip with a little industrial going on. But everything is is feeding from somewhere else. And once you've had like that big breakthrough in the two thousands where you know, you had Slipknot and Mastodon and Lamb of God. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm on a Mars. I guess Neurosis were earlier, but, but Kill Switch Engage. And like there's these really, you know, pivotal bands that were doing something a little different. Um, that's the last real kind of movement that I saw that, that made a big difference in terms of, of uh, changing the tide of what else was, was going on. I mean, there's some cool stuff happening with hardcore. And this kind of hardcore metal vibe that bands like Nails have and Full of Hell. And I think they're great. But it's hard to say that there's like some huge metal scene because who are people lining up to see, you know, right now? It's, they can't wait to see Metallica again. Can't mm-hmm. wait to see Maiden again, you know? Sure. Can't wait to get out there and, and you know, catch the Lamb of God. And, and, and why not? These are the guys who've proven themselves as, as the best at what they do. Well, you know, these bands, they bring, they good, they bring good acts along with them. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure something else will come. Like, up. didn't we see Uncle Acid you know? with, King, with King Diamond? Yeah, Uncle Acid, Dead, the Dead Beats. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Uncle Acid's great. What a great yeah. thing. But for me, and, I, yeah, the know, psychedelic scene. Yeah. Yes, I think stoner metal. Actually, I love the stoner metal. Thing. A big, this guy's a stoner a metal freak. Said I'm a stoner metal freak. Yeah, I love it. With Caius, yeah, yeah, I love. I love Caius. So I, I love it because it's are... groovy. You know what I mean? It's groovy. It's got something in there. It's cool. Caius are another forty year old band. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, sure. they were awesome. Um, and and Queens of the Stone Age are awesome, but right. uh, now I think with so much legalization going on and weed losing the kind of taboo that it had, uh-huh. um, 
I think that's going to reflect in the in the music scene more than it than it had. Um, and and maybe stoners stoner metal will take a yeah, uh, I mean a new turn somewhere. But I mean, you know, right. we've already had so much great stoner metal like Electric Wizard and Electric Wizard down and, and, and Sleep Down yeah. Yab Sleep Sleep one of the best Yab sure. Yab uh, yeah Yab is yeah. great too Clear Light Yeah uh-huh. no, great man and then Baroness who are an offshoot of that although yeah. you know they're more prog but but great. Post metal stuff is amazing too, but that's you know now you're getting the weeds a little bit, right? So in terms of, I think there's great stuff out there, but in terms of what's going to blow up and be the next Slipknot, man, I had no idea. Right. I mean, they're trying to tell me Greta Van Fleet's the future of metal. Greta Van Fleet, no man. <laughs> they sound like Zeppelin, you know. It's like know. A, a, they're, they're, they got some good songs, but it's it's a label and a band and manager's idea of putting something together that's mm-hmm. not too not too intellectually challenging and not, not too musically dangerous and it sure. just rocks. And that's fine. The same with who's this band? Dirt, Dirty Honey or whatever they're called. Yeah, like, yeah. Wolf they're coming like that too. Yeah, I mean, you know. But then you hear the rise of also female fronted bands like Ginger and Arch Enemy. Well, and, Ginger is definitely the future And in this everything. moment and... Uh, <laughs> You know, sure. Butcher Babies. To me, it's all about Ginger. Butcher Babies are great. Carla's cool. And and, and uh, even Hailstorm are really, I love Lizzie Hale. She yeah, she's awesome. She's a great hard rock star. And, and you know, um, I've got a really soft soft spot for, for uh, you know, Taylor Momsen and, and, and her band. Yeah, but the Pretty Reckless, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Pretty Reckless have some great songs. You know, I think her new album's really good, too. So, but it's not Priest, and it never tried to be. No. Uh, it's rock and roll. It's rock right, and roll. It's rock and roll. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I mean, but it's come along with women in the metal scene. They come a long way since the girl school days and Lita Ford and uh, you know the plasmatics. Oh, absolutely, and, know? and and there are women in black metal too, and that's great. Yeah, you know, I mean, sure. there are women in industrial music. There's so so you know the question shouldn't be, oh, it's amazing that there are women in metal. I mean, there should be women in metal if they want to do it. Um, it's still more of a boys' club, but maybe that's because. The core sound of the, of the music, that primal aggression, is really more just possible. Some of these driven. women, I think, are more heavier than guys nowadays in these bands. Like, take a band like Venom Prison. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's heavy. Yeah. Take it to the next level right there. Yeah. I mean, so Guys Club, I don't think so anymore. You know what I'm saying? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, and thank God That's for true. that. These girls will kick your ass. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, King yeah, Diamond absolutely. wised up. He got his wife to do all the background vocals because no one else could hold those Doing vocals. Doing the high notes for right. them, and sure. And what about uh, uh, McCannibal from, from Psy? That's, that's uh, the, the vocalist's wife as well. And, yeah. Uh, you know, that's some that's great killer stuff. So who, who have you heard recently really get into? I mean, I mean, let, let's let's just say, let's not, not maybe not recently. But let's say, which what are your top favorite bands of all time? Ooh, that's a tough question, man. That's a really for me, all like, time, um, all time. Like you, who, who do you, who do you play? Go-to, you your go to yeah. music, yeah. The, the the stuff I listen to uh, when when no one else is watching. Uh, sure, I mean <laughs> ones that are near and dear um, to your heart. Yeah, the Desert Island album. Yeah, um, I've always loved Exodus. You know, oh, I yeah. think Exodus are—they should have been one of the big four. Bonded big by five, Blood, yeah, and Testament and two. But uh, uh, other stuff I love and always go back to. Um, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd mentioned the the obviouses like uh, Motorhead. Can't go wrong with always listen to Motorhead. 
oh, he's listening to, to ministry and priest and Sabbath. But, you know, I think like reaching back into the stuff that, that was a little obscure when I first loved it, like bands like Power Mad, they did that album. It was just so cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they were slightly more obscure thrash metal band, although they were featured in a David Lynch film. But uh, I, I love going back to stuff like that and Sacred Reich. You know, Sacred Reich uh, was our, was our home base. It was a great album. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Surf uh, Nicaragua. Osmond Jetsam also, right? <laughs> yep. Osmond Jetsam. Were they from Arizona? Yep. Yep. I've known all those guys since they were teenagers. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, man, it's so hard to say the favorites because the favorites, uh, the, for the first five Sabbath albums, you know, the first. Ooh, now there's another. There's album. a question for you, Ronnie James Dio or Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, take your oh, pick. Oh, that's hard because take your pick. I gotta say, Ozzy, but I discovered I discovered Ronnie first. I actually heard uh, the uh, the song Mob Rules in the the heavy metal uh, soundtrack. Right. You know, in that in that film, and uh, I thought this is amazing. This is what is this? This is incredible. And I bought the soundtrack, and then I'm like, wow. There was there was a this band's been around for a while. You know, what else have they got? You know, this is they had that album Heaven and Hell, and oh my God, there was a singer before that. You know, <laughs> like twelve, age twelve or so. I'm like blown away that there was an Ozzy Sabbath, um, and and yeah, you know, you, you you can't touch those albums in terms of originality because nothing else was around that was like it. So they were breaking all the rules and making all the rules, and. Uh, just craftsmanship you know the uh the talent that they brought to the table was was astonishing and you know you, you could say the same for any real pioneers of the movement like like as i said you know metallica and we talked about them before we need and, answers uh, john we need answers quit talking great. around it is it dio or is it ozzy just need a quick answer <laughs> yes or no <laughs> dancing around dio the question quit interview. dancing around the question you sound like dio a politician a better interview and a friendlier guy uh, Ozzy's friendly, but not as socially, um, you know, I guess adept. Uh, musically, gotta go, gotta go with those first five Ozzy albums, and there were not five Dio albums. It's true. Although I even loved, I, I, although I'll, I'll go with The Devil You Know before I go with 13, you know, which was the oh, last Sabbath hey, album. Yeah. I, I, right. Yeah, I liked The Devil You Know. I thought, I was really hoping for more, but tragically, that was it for Ronnie. That was it for yeah, Ronnie, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even with like the album Born Again, I like that album as well. Of course. Ian, yeah, Born Again was a great album. Ian Gillen? Yeah. Well, love Ian Gillen. Not sure he worked with Sabbath so much. And I think the band was in a really major state of disarray when they did that. Sure. Because they didn't know what to do after Ronnie just suddenly departed. And they had an album, you know, contractually due. So, uh, you know, Tony just threw a bunch of shit together and. And it has it has its moments for sure, and it's better than some Sabbath records. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. And it's got that little demonic, little demonic baby on the cover, weird naked baby, yeah, weird demonic baby, rosemary baby looking thing. That scared the hell out of me. That cover, yeah. it is, man. Look like I mean, a golem or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the hell it is? Golem? <laughs> no, not golem, but a golem. Oh, a golem? Yeah, baby. Born out of satanic. So headlock. when can we when <laughs> when can we expect some more uh, podcast episodes from you? You working them every day or uh, what? Well, there's there's a new one every week for a twelve, it's a 12 week uh, season that I was contracted to. Cool. So the girls, girls, girls episode follows the uh, the set the, the uh, you know 
Tony Iommi Black Sabbath episode. And that's all sorts of wild stories about, uh, uh, you know, crazy, crazy chicks in, in metal and wild adventures that a lot of these guys had back when Ooh. it was uh, not, you know, it, there was no Me Too movement. These were consensual um, consensual arrangements between, I have quotes from dudes in Van Halen, I have you know, quotes from people in Megadeth, and quotes from a lot of people from different bands who uh, took advantage of the perks of the, you know, of the industry. Um, and these girls were, were of legal age, so I, I, I can't say that it's uh, anything that anybody did that was, uh, you know, was was Epstein-esque. Uh, ethically <laughs> well some is pretty obscene you know there's a lot of twosomes threesomes and moresomes you know yeah. like you hear joe elliott say oh yeah you know i had it was great we saw nothing wrong with it there was two chicks one day three chicks the next day i'm like man didn't def flopper have like an, like an orgy like during the show like when they did that stuff in the round they talk about having orgies like during the show underneath the stage i've heard those rumors they deny them i think i think they mentioned something like i don't know if it's behind the music but I definitely heard that on the shows in the round there were chicks underneath the stage you know servicing the guys during a drum solo but i don't know if it's true wouldn't surprise me. It sounds more like a Motley Crue thing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely a Motley Crue thing. So it's definitely not a, a, a family-oriented episode. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Anyway, dude, this is this is a blast, but I've, I've really got a, got a bolt. Yeah, we're done. Yep. So thank oh, you good. so much okay. for being on, John. Appreciate it. Brand new podcast, thank Backstage you. Devil and Metal. <laughs> thank you so much for being on. I mean, 30 years in a business, man, it's been an honor talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man, thank you. And we'd love to talk to you again if it's possible. Yeah, I'd love to do it, you know. Um, get in touch with me for sure, and uh, thanks for uh, for having me on. It's been, been a lot of fun. Yeah, we're going to blast it's it out. It's been a blast. Thank you so much, John. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you hopefully soon. Awesome, okay? man. Spread spread the word, and hopefully we'll get another 12 episodes out We're going to do it right now. We're spreading the word now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you so Take much, care. John. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.